turn with me to Acts chapter 20. I did a quick search this morning. It was on March the 10th, uh, 2019, that we started studying uh, the book of Luke, Luke's gospel. And our, our goal was to get to know Jesus by looking at the history of his life. And then on May 10th, a little over a year later, May 10th, 2020, we started looking at Luke part 2, which is the book of Acts. And our goal in doing this uh, is to see that Jesus' story didn't stop on Easter Sunday, but that his life continues through his followers, that Jesus continues to work in the life of his people through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've seen as we've gone through the book of Acts. And the, the reason I mentioned that two-year journey that we've been on is because we're beginning to round the bend and head for home. Uh, we, are, we are closing in on the end of Acts. Today's, uh, today's chapter uh, is really a, a turning point as we begin moving towards the end of the book. And so I wanted us to keep those things in mind uh, as we head for the finish line. Uh, by the point that we're reading today, I'm going to start reading in verse 17. Paul has left Ephesus after three years. Uh, he visits some other churches that he had established, and then he begins sailing back towards Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, to finish what will be his third and final missionary journey, at least recorded for us in the Bible. Uh, and as he sails to Jerusalem, he stops in the port of Miletus, and he sends for the elders of the church in Ephesus. Now, these would have been his good friends, men that he had worked with uh, for at least three years. And he is saying his final farewell to them. And so let's, uh, let's give our attention and listen in to what he says. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel or purpose of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves 
and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. And like him, it is good and it is true. And may he bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of his word. Amen. What is a leader? Go ahead and and answer that question in your mind. Go ahead and sketch out. Maybe you've worked for a good leader or, or played for a good leader if you were an athlete. Go ahead and sketch in your mind the, the figure of a leader. What is, what is he? Who is he? What's he like? What does he do? As Paul says this final farewell to his friends, these men he'd toiled alongside for three years, he gives us a sketch of what it looks like to lead under Jesus. He gives us a, a picture of what it looks like to be a Jesus-shaped leader. I, originally, I was going to just do this as, as one sermon, but there's enough uh, material here, and this is enough of a, of a need for our church that I opted to break it into two. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at part one of what it means to be a Jesus-shaped leader. And what we see here is that Jesus entrusts his sheep, his flock, to shepherds who will lead with humility and love and courage. And that, that picture, that image, that of the shepherd is the one that Paul uses. If you flip over to verse 28, Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So there's the, there's the sheep imagery. This is the flock. It's God's flock. He says, In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care. Now, my translation says to care, but the, the word there, the verb there, is actually to shepherd. It is the verb form of the word shepherd. And so the image of the shepherd is the Christian leader. And that makes perfect sense when you think about it because Jesus himself, Jesus called himself in John chapter 10, the good shepherd. And Jesus was only fulfilling what was spoken of in the Old Testament, where the king, King David, was a shepherd. 
And the need in Ezekiel, as Israel was declining and falling apart, the need was for shepherds who would not take advantage of the sheep. And so Jesus comes along hundreds of years later and says, I am the good shepherd. And then, now that Jesus has ascended to his throne, he entrusts the care of his sheep to other shepherds. To men who will lead with humility. To shepherds who will lead with love and humility and courage. So let's, let's look for a second at what it means to lead. Before I get into the, the humility and love and, the, and courage, let's look at the different titles that Paul uses here to describe these men. First, in verse 17, they're called elders. It's where we get our word Presbyterian from. It's a Jewish word, and it speaks of mature wisdom. And so it's a little humorous to me uh, that we ordain men like myself. Uh, I'm only 40 now, and I was only 30 when I was ordained as a pastor. Uh, There was nothing about mature wisdom, and I still doubt very much that there is mature wisdom. Uh, But nonetheless, that's the the title. Uh, So just as Moses had elders to help him lead God's people, so Jesus appoints elders to lead his people now. In verse 28... Uh, He uses the word overseers. Uh, This is where we get the word bishop from. It's a Greek word. It means to uh, look over, to supervise. So these men are elders. They're overseers. But primarily, they are pastors. That's that's the word for shepherd. A, A pastor is a shepherd. And what I want you to see is that Right here, all three of these titles, you may, you may come from a more hierarchical form of church where you have different ranks and different levels. But what I want you to see right here in Acts chapter 20 is that all three of these titles apply to the same people. The pastor is an elder. The elder is a pastor. Right? There's, there's no distinction here. Right? Elders... It's not as if elders are a board who oversee the business of the church while the paid CEO pastor does the ministry. No, every elder is a pastor. And what we see is that there's... So what this tells us is that there's more than one pastor for a church. Every elder is a pastor. The the church is actually led by a team of pastor elders. And all the elders are the same. At this point, at least, there's no, there's no ranks, right? It's not like, all right, we've got, the, we've got the pastor at this level, and we've got the bishop above him, and we've got other increasing steps above them. No, all of them are the same here. There are no, there are no ranks. Leadership doesn't belong to one man at the top. Actually, I'm sorry. Leadership does belong to one man at the top. His name is Jesus. And Jesus shepherds his sheep through the ministry of these elder pastors. So while I much appreciate uh, your prayers for me, I want you to pray for Steve too. Steve is your other elder. Uh, Pray for our ministry as your pastors. Now I want you to notice uh, not only, so, so these men shepherd the church, but it's still God's church. Look at what he says in verse 28. It's God's flock. It's purchased by the blood of his son. 
It's God the Spirit who appoints them as overseers. So Jesus is still the good shepherd. He's still the one ultimately responsible for leading and feeding and protecting his flock. That's why you'll often hear us say that an elder is an under-shepherd. We lead under Jesus. So how does that reality shape the character of the under-shepherd? How does that truth that this is God's flock shape the way that an elder or a pastor or a shepherd does his ministry? And the first way is that he ought to lead with humility. Now, I'm, I'm going to, this, this sermon, because Paul's sermon is directed at elders, then by and large you're going to hear me directing this at, uh, at elders or prospective elders. But I don't want you to, this is true of everyone who ought to lead in the church. So if you're a small group leader, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a parent, Right, You have some measure of leadership under Jesus. And so these same things ought to be true uh, of you as well. So don't, uh, don't tune out and say, all right, well, this has nothing to do with me. He's going to rail, uh, rail on the old men for a little bit. Right? Don't, don't, do, don't tune out. One, you can pray these things for your elders, but also pray them for yourself and seek them for yourself. So humility. Uh, verse 19, Paul says that he served the Lord with all humility. Notice he says he serves the Lord, not them. He doesn't work for them. He is not an elected official. He's not a representative. He's not a paid hireling. He serves the Lord. Now, he serves the Lord for their benefit. But he does not work for them. He works for Jesus. He serves Jesus for the good of Jesus' sheep. Right? The elder is not the owner. The pastor is not the owner of the church. And so he has no right to be proud. And he has no right to do whatever he pleases. It's Jesus' flock. And so... He can follow Jesus and serve Jesus with humility. He follows Jesus' lead first. He also serves with love. He also serves with love. Twice, Paul mentions his tears for them. He says it in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. And then again, he says in verse 31... Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul loves these men. He loves God's church. He's in their lives. He has a vested emotional interest in how they do. If you go, I, I encourage you, go, go read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Some point this week, go read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and read how Paul describes himself. He describes himself as a nursing mother and a caring father. 
Go read Galatians 4.19, where he describes himself as being like a mom in labor pains until Christ is formed in people. Those are images he uses of himself because he deeply loves these people. What that means is this, this isn't a job to him. He's not a professional. He pours his heart and soul into this ministry so much that he cries. Right? Tears of grief and tears of joy. But he is emotionally invested. He loves the church of God. Humility, love, courage. Twice in verse 20 and in verse 27, Paul says that he did not shrink back. He didn't withdraw. He didn't avoid. Look again at verse 20. Excuse me, 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. So in the face of much opposition, Paul doesn't withdraw. In the face of much affliction, Paul doesn't withdraw. Look at verse 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. Paul does not avoid pain. Right, so, so just because the elder or the pastor is humble and just because he is loving does not mean he is weak. It does not mean that he is fearful. So we have, we have a hard time putting those two things together. We assume that humility uh, means weakness. That if you're going to be humble, it means you don't rise to the occasion, but you back down. But that's not the case here. Because it wasn't the case with Jesus. Jesus could describe himself as gentle and lowly. And yet, what does he do? Not only does he regularly criticize the most religious people for being hypocrites, but he goes all the way to the cross and faces death. Jesus did not withdraw Paul did not withdraw. In fact, it means right the opposite. That because the elder humbly serves the Lord, he is given the strength to follow Jesus into the fire. How? How does one... So, so if you're a, a, a younger man like myself, um, and... You hear these, this description of what it means to be an elder or a leader. And you go, yep, never going to be me. Not, I'm not going to be there. It's never going to happen. Right? I, I, I read this description that Paul gives. And the question I want to ask is, who, who is sufficient for these things? Who, who looks like this? Short of Jesus himself. How, does, how, how do you get here? And I confess that, that, that my, my leadership is not full of humility. It is not full of love. It is not full of courage. I lack all of these things. So how does, how does this transformation take place? Well, look at verse 20, verse 22. Paul says, 
And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. So bound, think chains, bound by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, the word for imprisonment and the word for constrained, they're both the word bound. So if I was going to paraphrase it, Paul basically says, I am bound by the Spirit to be bound with chains in Jerusalem. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how it's going to happen and who's going to do it. But he knows when he gets to Jerusalem, more pain awaits him. That he is going to be put in chains. That affliction is his destiny. Why would he do that? Knowing what awaits him, why would he willingly pursue that end? Well, look at what he says next. Verse 24. He says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Why am I often fearful? I mean, I. I'm just confessing my faith. This is, this is just this passage preaching to me right now. So I'm confessing my failures before you. Why? Why am I not courageous? Why am I often fearful? Why do I draw back when I need to move forward? It's because I count my life as precious to myself. Self-protection. I want to guard myself. I want to set up the right boundaries so that I don't get injured, so that I'm not inconvenienced. That's why I'm fearful. Why am I proud instead of humble? Because I think I'm worth something. Because I think I deserve better. I count my life of some value to myself. So, so I am bound, I am chained by my own false notions of self-worth and self-importance. But I want you to hear the freedom in Paul's chains. He says, I don't account myself, my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only. Notice he doesn't say his life isn't valuable. He doesn't say his life isn't precious. But its value comes from outside of himself. He says, if only... I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of the grace of God. Paul says, if only I don't account my life of any value to myself, if only I can finish the course. If only I can run the race. If only I can complete this ministry that Jesus has given me, that's, that's where the value is. That's where my life matters. The value of my life is determined by Jesus. The, the course of my life is determined by Him. Friend, the more you realize 
the more I realize that my identity and my destiny are held fast in Jesus, the more gladly we will follow his lead. The more I realize that I don't have to protect myself. Jesus has got me covered. The more I realize that I don't have to prove myself. Jesus has got me covered. The more free we will be, the more gladly we will follow him. Even unto death, Paul knows that he's going down into death. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. But he knows, because that's the Jesus trajectory. That's the way that Jesus went. And Paul knows he's going to go the same way. But the reason Paul can do that is because he knows that on the other side of death, there's a resurrection. That because Paul goes and embraces chains, the entire world will be changed by his ministry. He can't see that right now. You can't see the resurrection that God is going to work through your death. But that is the direction that Jesus calls his followers. It's how Jesus leads and it's how his leaders ought to lead. So this morning, first let me speak to you, the church. Will you pray for this? Will you pray that God makes your current leaders like this and that he also will raise up new leaders who are like this. People who are so shaped by the good news of his grace that we lead with humility and love and courage. And then to those outside of the church, to those of you who may not know Jesus, Have you ever experienced this kind of freedom? Do you know what it means to say, I account my life of no value, but simply that I can finish the course, finish the race? Do you know what it's like to have your identity and your destiny held secure by someone who loves you infinitely and will never let you go? I invite you this morning to put your trust in Jesus, to have that kind of security and that kind of freedom and that kind of hope. Let's pray. Our good and gracious King, Lord, as as we submit ourselves to your rule, we pray that you would work in us, God, that you would work in our church and in the leaders of our church, humility and love and courage Lord, make us Jesus-shaped people. Give us hearts full of your grace that we may lead others with grace. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.